News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you. I'm Jason Kong, and this show is made possible through the support of Transitions Life Care. Thank you, Cooper Linton. Uh, we've we're starting to refer to you as Beast now. We, we've learned that that is a, a cool term, and you qualify as Beast. Is it just because I'm kind of hairy, or is there <laughs> is there something else going on that, here? That helps add to the, the mystique there. He's Will the Beast. Will the Beast. And that voice you heard is Nicole Bruno with Transitions Guiding Lights. She's also known as the selfie queen of, of oh, Raleigh. No, I am not. <laughs> oh. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She's not the selfie queen, but she loves to admire a good selfie from other people. She likes to find the humor in that. Well, uh, Cooper and Nicole, we're, we're going to touch on a topic that uh, I'm still foggy on, and I'm, I'm foggy on a lot of things, but the, the difference between independent living and assisted living is something I can kind of grasp, but there, there's a lot of regulations, and and uh, I'm assuming that uh, the average person like me doesn't really understand a whole lot. You know, there's kind of general concepts, concepts that you may understand, but when you get into the nitty-gritty, these are two very different things. Jason, you are spot on, and we like to take a lighthearted approach, but we end up talking about a lot of serious things on this show. And people often are not prepared to make decisions until they feel a great sense of urgency. They've got to do something in a hurry. And then they may not feel that they have the time to really understand the differences between independent living, assisted living, what's an adult care home, what's skilled nursing facility, what's a continuous care retirement community. And it turns into a giant alphabet soup. It's overwhelming. (laughs) It's even frightening. And so we try and break that down into smaller chunks. And on today's show, we have Jaime Pacheco. He is the executive director for Magnolia Glen, which is a senior living community based here in the Triangle. And they are part of the Kisco communities, which uh, all operate multiple communities within our family. And so Jaime actually is going to join us today to help explore what are these different levels of care? What, is this, what do these acronyms mean? How do families find out more? And what does this mean for caregivers and their loved ones? Jaime, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Well, we're glad you're here. So let's start off with, tell us about Magnolia Glen, where you, you're the administrator of, of, of that community, and then we can kind of branch out from there. But can you start, it all, start us off with an understanding of what is Magnolia Glen and what type of community and residents are, are in, in, in the place you call home? Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. So Magnolia Glen, uh, we're actually celebrating our 15-year anniversary um, this year. So we're very excited about that in October. Um, Magnolia Glen is a independent living community. So we have a total of 208 apartments. Um, and then we also have an assisted living community, which makes up about 48 apartments uh, on our campus. So we have both uh, service lines, independent living for folks who are more active uh, and are, uh, do not need any help with their activities of daily living. And then we have uh, another arm of our community called assisted living, which is uh, specifically for folks who need a little bit more uh, help in their activities, daily living, like bathing, dressing, uh, mobility. So I'm going to use my uh, alphabet soup alarm. You use <laughs> activities of daily living. Could you describe for those listening that may not know what that means, what exactly that means to us? Absolutely. So activities of daily living is just a fancy way of uh, categorizing Um, activities that people need on a daily basis to live. So for example, if uh, individuals need assistance with um, meal preparation, if they need assistance with uh, mobility, in other words, getting from their apartment to the dining room, if they need assistance um, getting dressed in the morning or in the evening, if they need assistance with medication management or medication reminders, 
those all come under the umbrella of activities of daily living. That makes a lot of sense. So your so your explanation is that the folks living on your independent living side are folks that do not need assistance with that level of care. So for the most part, and that's where things get a little gray. I I know there. I had a feeling we're going down that territory. We're not apples to apples, are we? <laughs> that's that's correct. So I can do a little bit and explain that piece of it. So historically speaking, um, independent living communities have been known. Uh, for lack of a better term, to be the wild, wild west of senior living. And what I mean by that is there hasn't been um, a significant amount of regulation kind of letting us know parameters of what type of care we could provide in the independent living setting. Um, At Magnolia Glen, we have made the decision to uh, be a part of what's called a multi-unit assisted living uh, with services. Um, which is well, could you could you say that again? Because that was a lot of words next to each other. <laughs> I can't. Multi I can't. Unit and 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 you're right. So it, we call it a mua um, in in the industry. Uh, you call it a what? A mua. I think that's what it's, Al Pacino says. I went to a mua party a one time. It was great. That, that's a type of beast. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. So a mua stands for a multi-unit um, housing with services, and so it's just the ability for us um, to seek some greater oversight and the type of care that we can provide in that setting, which we think is important. So at Magnolia Glen, our independent living is more of what we call the traditional independent living. Folks who live uh, with us are um, much higher functioning, uh, much more active. So we do our best to make sure that, uh, for lack of a better term, the integrity of our independent living is such that um, it's much more active. So is the idea, Jaime, that if I know at some point I'm going to need care. Almost, I mean, that's the case for almost all of us. At some point, we're going to need care. And I'm looking at wanting to make decisions now that position me for better opportunities in the future. Even though I don't need help right now, I might move into an independent living, reduce some of my time spent caring for my home. Um, I Maybe someone who doesn't particularly want a garden may not want to have yard work, I move into independent living and I spend my time focused on what I want to do, not where I live. Is that fair? Is that a... Uh, I think that's a fair assessment, yeah. And then if I need additional help, I have to move into assisted living or is back to this gray area that Nicole mentioned? So it depends on, on the respective community. Um, at, at many independent living communities like Magnolia Glen, there is... Um, services that are put in place to allow residents to stay in independent living if uh, they choose to and if that would be the most successful option for them. So, for example, many independent living communities have home care agencies uh, or have partnered with folks who provide home care services either on site or um, on a la carte basis to uh, extend the uh, success rate and the ability for our residents to live in independent living. So sometimes folks just basically need a leg up. I mean, you know, maybe maybe they had a fall and they just needed you know a couple of weeks of some extra tender loving care, or maybe the reality of it is is they just get their medications mixed up a little bit, and perhaps they just need someone to make sure they stay on the correct regimen so that they don't get more confused or have more falls. And and that's when you would bring in one of those additional services to sort of bolster that person. That's exactly right. Absolutely. Okay. So then within your community, though, you also mentioned that you have assisted living. So how do you make a decision? And for those listening, I know this is sort of a community by community basis. How do you make the decision or help the family and that resident make the decision when it's time to take that next step? That's a great question. That, that generally speaking, is a very difficult step to make. Um, and so we approach it from a multidisciplinary uh, approach. So we do involve the family members. We do involve the residents. Uh, we involve uh, our clinicians at the community, 
and then we involve uh, the respective physicians that are involved um, uh, with the respective residents. So it, it, it does take some, some effort, um, but in the most cases, it's a long process that we're constantly communicating with the families and the residents. Uh, when that time comes, we'll be able to make that move um, effectively. So can you give me an example of something that might uh, move me, an, an event, a health event that might move me from independent living to assisted living? Because in a minute, I want us to talk about a little bit more about what happens in assisted living. Absolutely. So in, in independent living, uh, there might be a situation where a resident, in my experience, a fall. And the resident uh, might have to be sent out to uh, the emergency department. And we might find out that the resident... Um, has broken a bone or a hip, for, for example. And so that resident wouldn't be cared for best in our community in the independent living setting. So most likely what would happen at that point, they would have to be discharged uh, to one of our skilled nursing facilities um, in the area. And then eventually after a, a rehab stay, it would come back to our community. Um, and at that point, maybe better for assisted living. All right. Our guest is Jaime Pacheco, and he's with Magnolia Glen, and that's a Kisco senior living community. You can find more information about them at www.lifeatmagnoliaglen.com. And we're going to continue our discussion with him. Uh, we're going to get into uh, what exactly happens in assisted living. Uh, we'll talk about that. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you here on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care, which was founded as Hospice of Wake County. You can find them online at transitionslifecare.org. I am Jason Kong, along with me, as always, Nicole Bruno and Cooper Linton. Our guests this week is Jaime Pacheco, and he's with Magnolia Glen. He's the executive director of Magnolia Glen. And we're continuing our discussion on independent living and assisted living. And, you know, we, we, kind of summed up independent living uh, in that last segment, Cooper. And now we're going to get to assisted living, which is, uh, it seems like there's a lot involved here and it's kind of wide, wide ranging. It is. And, and right before the break, Jaime was talking with us about what are some of the situations that may necessitate someone moving from independent living to assisted living. Uh, and you referenced that it may include someone actually going temporarily out of the community to get rehab services. They may have an acute stay, a hospital stay, uh, the terms acute stay and hospital stay being interchangeable, uh, and, and then returning to the community, but may need a higher level of support. So I'm hoping you could kind of explore what does a higher level of support mean, Jaime, and how does that work, particularly at, at Magnolia Glen? Absolutely. So in many cases, our residents do have an acute event, or uh, they might have uh, a situation where they are experiencing some uh temporary decline where extra services would benefit them a little bit. And so at Magnolia Glen, we have partnered with Interim Healthcare to provide those home care services to them in the privacy of their own home. So our residents don't necessarily have to leave our independent living community um, to get those services in place. They facilitate those uh, in the community, in the independent living community. So one of the things that I think about, though, is that, you know, at Magnolia Glen, on the independent living side, that's home. I mean, you consider that that individual's home. And so if something were to occur and suddenly that person were to get a terminal diagnosis and, you know, the thought of moving to the assisted living side is just too much, do you allow the supports of hospice and home health and private duty home care to be there on a temporary basis to help that person pass on? That's a great question, and, and the short answer is absolutely. 
So we do partner with uh, folks like Transitions to provide hospice uh, services here in the community and sometimes palliative if that's more appropriate. And for the listener, that palliative care is a physician or a nurse practitioner who's coming in to provide an additional level of medical intervention uh, that augments what the primary care physician is doing. And the idea is to layer additional levels of care in to support someone uh, when they're going through a, a more challenging period of their life. So if I move into assisted living, could you kind of lay out for me what I could expect to receive if I'm an assisted living resident in your community? Sure. Now, every assisted living community is a little bit different in terms of what uh, the respective operator is willing to um, take on as it relates to acuity and assistance. At Magnolia Glen, in our assisted living, which we call Vera Springs, we are uh, a more traditional um, setting for assisted living, meaning uh, we do um, care, but it's a, at a more moderate level. So what I mean by that is our residents um, do get assistance in what I referenced earlier in their activities of daily living. Um, and that could, that could mean, uh, depending on their, the assessment instrument that we use, it could mean um, assistance with bathing in the mornings. It could mean assistance with um, uh, escorting to the activities. Uh, it could mean um, assistance with medication management if they're on a medication regimen, which most are. Um, so all those services can be expected in our assisted living. One of the things that I'd like to talk a little bit about is that what a family goes through when they're trying to make a decision about maybe moving mom from another state to North Carolina or, you know, noticing that things just aren't going as well at home anymore. And now it's time to make a decision about moving into a senior living community such as yours. Talk to us a little bit about what that process is like and then how that family typically feels after the move is made. That's a great question as well. So a lot of uh, our families have that difficult decision of uh, choosing a respective assisted living community for their loved one, and it's it's not a easy decision. One thing that I feel fortunate enough uh, being in the industry is that in this market, there is a lot of really positive options for families to choose, which I think is great. Um, however, to answer your question, I think families, once they make that decision, um, that difficult decision on the community side, there's a variety of different things that we do and we put in place, sometimes unbeknownst to the families and residents that occur on the back end, to make sure that the residents are feeling um, comforted, uh, welcomed, and that they feel like it is their home, not just a place where they're staying temporarily. Um, in addition, our family members also get the support that they need prior to making that decision. So we have an excellent team in place at Magnolia Glen that really reaches out to our families and makes sure that uh, we are learning as much as we can, not only about the resident, but also about the respective family and their needs. So when they make that decision, we're able to kind of support them through that process. So we know that these families struggle with always about money. I mean, everybody struggles with the concept of money. And we hear about escalating costs of long-term care, escalating costs of aging, and almost to the point we get afraid to talk about it. And it's really just the opposite. We need to have very candid and frank discussions about resources, about the money that it takes to have in preparation for this. Could you give us an idea of how things are paid for? And you've described a variety of care a, a range of care in your community. How is that covered? And generally speaking, what are the ranges that people can anticipate paying for? That's also a great question. So the financial aspect and the impact of choosing a senior living community is uh, can be very daunting. Uh, in terms of uh, payer sources, uh, most communities, at least at Magnolia Glen, we are a private pay community. So uh, we accept um, private pay funds. We also uh, are able to accept uh, uh, 
veterans benefits, um, aid and attendance, if that's something that they were a surviving spouse or a veteran themselves. Um, and also long-term care insurances helped cover the costs associated with uh, assisted living. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, not necessarily my parents' generation, but their parents' generation did a really good job of saving money. And I'm thinking about my parents, and they sort of were the generation of, it came through their fingers and it went right out the other side, almost the instant gratification. And then the generation that I'm in, it almost seems worse. What do you see, this is just a general question, the future of long-term care, and how are people going to afford this? Because we know the baby boomers coming up don't have the pockets that their parents have. What do you see as the future? There must be talks in, in Kisco at large of the direction of, of long-term care. What do you see coming our way? You know, I, I wish I had a crystal ball. I, I, would, I would definitely exercise whatever the outcome was. I think, I, I think that as providers and as leaders in the industry, I think we need to get incredibly creative um, and figure out ways to better provide these services um, in a way that it has a less impact financially. So there are certain things that I think are currently happening which uh, are helping to extend residents' ability to not choose senior living, which I think they've been successful, like home care. Um, th those type things, if we're able to put those in place, um, I think could help extend their success rate in home, which might be a little bit less expensive. Put the Band-Aid on a little bit for Put a little the Band-Aid on a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I think as, as a community, we really need to figure out what that's going to look like 15 years from now and the baby boom wave comes. Um, I think we're going to need to restructure some of the service offerings. Mm -hmm. I'm not so sure that baby boomers are going to want the exact services that we currently yeah. have in place <laughs> right now. Um, and that might be an opportunity to kind of look at our, um, our fee structures and our service offerings to help kind of... Uh, Love you that. I'm sitting here representing a caregiver support center, and I can tell you that the people that are coming into the caregiving world now, the children of the baby boomers, they are so overwhelmed with the amount of care that they're currently having to provide, putting the Band-Aids on to keep things going in at home because they don't have the money to do the next level. I'm just wondering, you know, obviously... Um, the baby boomer generation didn't have as many children. There just aren't as many hands to go around, and people are killing themselves, cutting off their work days at the beginning and end, plus managing their children to care for that loved one. I'm just wondering, as a, as a country, you know, we're going to hit a breaking point here, and I don't know, you know, how we're going to handle this. There really aren't enough hands. Um, there's been talks about bringing workers in from other countries to help us. The United States of America is just not set up to provide care for older adults. Other countries sort of take care of their own within their own family unit, and we don't, we don't do that here. And it's not a, a criticism, it's just the fact of the matter. We live in a you know, two-paycheck society where both, you know, both people have to work. Yeah, I think, I think Jaime said it perfectly that we're gonna have to get creative. I mean, this is a, a very serious and difficult problem that uh, a simple answer isn't gonna cut it. it it's, it's gonna require a lot of creative thinking. Einstein has a quote that I love, and it's that you can't solve a problem using the same logic that got you into the problem. And we are going to have to approach these issues differently. And part of that is understanding what services are currently available. So um, I think we'll uh, look forward to exploring more in our next segment about uh, some of the other communities that are available in, in the Triangle area and what is um, we're going to have a little discussion about continuous care retirement communities again. Yeah, and we'll do that in just a bit with our guest, Jaime Pacheco. He's the executive director of Magnolia Glen. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care, which is founded as Hospice of Wake County. You can always find them online at transitionslifecare.org. A quick break and back. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. 
You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. I am Jason Kong. Alongside me, as always, Nicole Bruno and Cooper Lynn. Our guest this week is Jaime Pacheco, the executive director of Magnolia Glen. And we're we're talking about independent living and assisted living and basically all sort of living arrangements that you could have. And uh, Cooper, we were talking a little bit during the break, and, and you mentioned a place called the Cardinal. And this this isn't the Catholic Church. What what is this? Right, right. It, it, nor is it the, the state bird. Um, <laughs> so we wanted to zoom out a little bit and look at what are some of the other uh, resources that are available in the Triangle region with respect to senior living communities. And and Jaime has graciously agreed to talk about another Kisco community uh, called the Cardinal at North Hills, and it is not an independent living or assisted living, but it includes that. And it is a continuous care retirement community, a CCRC to add to the alphabet soup of this <laughs> of this radio show. And so the because they're not all alike, we've talked about CCRCs in the past, but they're not all the same. And Jaime has agreed to put a spotlight on the Cardinal at North Hills and help us understand what offerings are available at this new community. Is that pretty well teed up for you, Jaime? I mean, I'd jump into this thing and, and kind of explain to us what this new community is and how it works, if you would. Absolutely. So I'll do the best that I can. So the executive director at the Cardinals name's Tom Ford. Uh, he'll be glad to answer any questions that uh, I'm not able to. However, our newest community in, in the Triangle uh, is the Cardinal at North Hills, and it is a rental CCRC, or Continuing Care Retirement Community, located in North Hills uh, area. And there's a handful of things that I think make that community uh, very special. Uh, one is that its location. It's in a beautiful urban uh, location, which historically has not been um, done before, I think, in this area. Uh, and then also, I think the fact that it is a rental model as opposed to a uh, buy-in or entry fee type continuing retirement community has its benefits. Uh, I definitely think, you know, we were talking about creativity for the future. Perhaps that might be an appealing setting for the baby boomer because, I mean, I know I love going there. There's a lot of amazing shopping and restaurants, and I think I think that's pretty awesome. So you have independent living there. Mm -hmm. Do you have assisted living there? We do. Okay. And what other what other, other levels of care? So at the Cardinal of North Hills, uh, right now, they have independent living that's currently open, and they're a brand new community. Uh, in a few months from now, uh, around the May timeframe, is my understanding that they're opening up their healthcare um, area of the community. In that healthcare area, they're going to have assisted living, they're going to have memory care, and they're going to have some skilled nursing beds as well. So, speak to the issue of memory care, if you would, for a minute. I mean, this is uh, right on the heels of the new Alzheimer's report that has come out and is showing the explosive growth and the prevalence of Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's related dementias. And that word strikes fear into the hearts of us. We recently had uh, the executive director for Alzheimer's North Carolina on this show, and she spoke to that some. And now we're hearing memory care unit as part of a continuous care retirement community. What is that? Where does it fit into the continuum, Miami? So I think, in my personal opinion, it is an incredibly important part of the overall continuum. A lot of residents that we're seeing now in our communities um, get to the point where uh, they would benefit significantly from what we call a secured care unit or a memory care specific environment for them to be successful. So I'm wondering, um, you know, why would somebody choose, just out of curiosity, how, how do you make a decision of moving into an independent living that has an assisted living associated with it versus a place like the Cardinal at North Hills that has multiple levels of care? What would be, you know, how do people make that decision, especially since they're both rental models? How do you, how do you 
pick and choose? I'll put you in an awkward position being that you're representing one of the two, but. No, not at all. I think, you know, one of the really positive things um, and uh, about Kisco and particularly in the Raleigh market is that each of our four communities uh, has its own respective place in the market base. So uh, the Cardinal is no different. And I think the Cardinal um, is able to attract a certain level or a certain type of customer or resident who um, values certain things that Magnolia Glen can't necessarily provide or that uh, Woodland Terrace or the Abbotswood and Stonehenge can't necessarily provide and vice versa. So I think uh, the, the customer at the Cardinal is one uh, with distinguished taste who likes to uh, live uh, in an urban environment and likes the comfort of having that continuum of care uh, under one roof. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I just like the idea that there's different offerings for different folks, because if you look at the diversity in our triangle area, it's profound. I mean, this is one of the most diverse areas in the United States, and it's because it's pulled people from all over. And so you have folks that want to live in a very pastoral setting. You also have people who say, look, I, I've never lived in a pastoral setting. I have no desire to live in one now. I want to be in an urban environment. I want access to restaurants. I want access to, to kind of a nightlife, if you will. And the idea that as folks age that they don't want those same things is really not true. Trying to force a, you know, a square peg into a round hole. That's, that's hard to do. City mouse versus country mouse, I think, is a lot of it. It's sort of what's in your nature. Kisco also has a couple of other offerings. You have the Abbotswood, and you also have uh, Woodland Terrace. Could you talk a little bit about those? Sure. So Abbotswood of Stonehenge um, is located on Creedmoor Row in Raleigh, and they are an independent living community, and they have strategically placed themselves uh, in, in an area where they're able to provide a little bit heavier care for our independent living residents. So folks who continue to want to live in independent living and who aren't yet ready for the traditional assisted living model or setting yet uh, have Abbotswood at Stonehenge as an opportunity uh, to be successful there. Then we have a sister community in Cary called Woodland Terrace and they are uh, independent living, they have assisted living and memory care as well. So prior to uh, the Cardinal opening at uh, Woodland Terrace was our uh, go-to for memory care uh, in, in the market. You know, one of the things that I've really noticed, and I've been to every single one of your communities, that each one, and we talked off air about this, has its own heartbeat. Each one is very different. So if you visit one Kisco community, you visited one Kisco community. I think I would say to people listening today, if you're kind of liking what the philosophy is about what this organization provides, you really need to do your due diligence and visit more than one to see what feels the best. Just like, you know, I might wear an eight and a half shoe. I tried three different pairs of eight and a half shoes. They might technically fit my foot, but one feels the best. And so I think that's very similar to when you're trying to pick out where you're going to live. I'd also like to highlight that Kisco not only, um, you know, provides excellent care in, in this space, they also care a lot about our community through their Kisco Cares program. Could you talk to us a little bit about that and how you give back? Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. So I, I would agree with you on that. So Kisco does a great job of uh, having a for-profit entity and organization with a not-for-profit heart is how I describe it. And the Kisco Cares program is something that our communities um, allocate a percentage of funds every year. And we allow our residents and associates to have a direct impact on where those uh, funds and monies are um, given. To give you an example, one thing that uh, we're doing with Kisco Cares that we do um, every year is that we pick and nominate one associate from our communities and they are sent to Tijuana, Mexico, and they participate in what's called the Homes of Hope program and they build two homes uh, for uh, underprivileged uh, folks in Tijuana. Um, so that's an incredible aspect that I think 
most communities and companies don't actually do. The outreach that you guys do, I think it's interesting that you have your residents and your associates actually direct those funds because this is not some high-level corporate-driven thing where someone in Chicago, and I'm making that up, tells folks in the triangle where to spend those dollars. It's really driven by the community for the community, and I think that's an incredible outreach. I'd love to hear a little bit from you, Jaime, about what motivates you. I know you know everyone here is administrator, executive director, and that, and that can truly be a very, very difficult job. It's a twenty four seven job. What keeps you going every single morning when that little baby of yours keeps you up all night uh, to to provide that support to the residents that you serve? That's a great question. And for me, the reason I love what I do and the reason that I love working in this industry for the past twelve years is that it comes with a certain degree of intangible benefits that I wouldn't get in any other industry. So what I mean by that is we have what's called a proverbial second paycheck to where um, I learn so much from our residents, the advice that I've been given on life in general, on parenting, on just a variety of different things that I value um, are priceless for me. And I wouldn't be able to get that working at another uh, company or in another industry. Great. Uh, You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you. Our guest has been Jaime Pacheco, and you can always find more information about him. He's the executive director at Magnolia Glen. You can find them at life at magnoliaglen.com. And you've heard us mention Kisco throughout the program. That is spelled K-I-S-C-O. You can Google them, find more information. Is there a a website, a main website for Kisco, Jaime? There is. It's KiscoSeniorLiving.com. Perfect. Perfect. You can punch that into your browser and head there to find more information about the uh, various communities that we mentioned on this program. You were listening to Aging Matters, Care and Comfort That Surrounds You, a service of Transitions Life Care founded as Hospice of Wake County. You can find them online anytime at TransitionsLifeCare.org. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you. Uh, service of Transitions Life Care. You can find them online at transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here, Cooper Linton over there, Nicole Bruno over there. And guys, we've got a really neat event coming up here, and it's all about advanced directives. Absolutely, Jason. We are very excited to be able to offer to this community uh, through a partnership with the North Carolina Bar Association and the Community Partnership for Compassionate Care, a two-hour event on April the 8th. It starts at 11 a.m. and then repeats itself again at noon. So it's a two-hour event, but it's basically the same piece repeated uh, one hour and then followed by another hour where people can come and get their advanced directives done at no charge. The documents will be provided for free. There will be legal advice. There'll be an attorney there at no charge. Uh, There'll be a notary public. Again, no charge. We're even throwing in free pizza. So this is about as low cost as you're ever going to get. It's a lot of freeze. (laughs) It's critical, though, that people have these advanced directives. And this is a personal passion of mine, but it's also a professional passion as we realize that the use of advanced directives in our community 
is much lower than it should be. This isn't just an old person thing. No, it's an adult thing. If you're over the age of 18 and really, most importantly, if you're over the age of 40, you need these two documents. Uh, You do not have to pay an outrageous attorney bill to do this. In fact, at this event, you don't have to pay an attorney bill at all. You come to this event, you get the documents done for free, execute them for free, get legal advice for free, and all you have to do at that point is then share copies of these documents with your loved ones, with your physician, have the tough conversations with your family, but the legal piece of it will be completed when you leave the event on the 8th. And it's at our offices on Trinity Road. Uh, The address is 250-250 Hospice Circle in Raleigh. Uh, You can just look up our website at transitionslifecare.org and get our address. There's even a little map to tell you how to get there. You know, I think there's a lot of confusion, though, about advanced directives, and this is something that I've encountered with many, many caregivers that I've worked with, and even older adults. They're really worried about naming someone to make decisions for them. They feel like they're giving up their rights. They feel like they're being taken away, and that once they do this, they can't make any more decisions. I agree with you, Nicole. I think there's the false perception that they're giving up power if they name a health care power of attorney. And it's actually just the opposite. They're maintaining their power because if you're silent, who's going to speak for you? Well, and I think especially older adults have this issue because they're losing so much control. They're losing physical mobility generally. They may be losing the ability to drive. And so this feels like yet another thing being taken away from them, the ability to make a choice. Absolutely. But in reality, the health care power of attorney is a document that has nothing to do with your finances. It's a document that allows you to delegate your authority to make decisions to someone that you designate, as opposed to just turning it loose to the statutory laws of North Carolina to determine who's going to be in charge. You get to pick and legally designate who's going to speak for you in the event that you can't speak for yourself. It's revocable. You can change your mind. Yeah, at any point. You know, I think if, you, if you're listening, you know, uh, you, and if you've had a surgery, they usually require you to, cr- to fill out one of these documents before a surgery. Now, everyone does that. You don't really think much about it. But the reality of it is, is once you come out of surgery and you're fine, that document is no longer in effect. So similarly, if, you know, something happens to you, I, I walk out of the station today, get hit by a car, I'm un- unconscious, and I've named somebody to, to make decisions for me. When I become conscious again, they stop making decisions for me, correct? Absolutely. This only takes effect when you are unable to speak for yourself. And it's such an important issue to me. The first legal document that my wife and I ever put together was our health care power of attorney and living will. Those documents actually were more important to us than a last will and testament because we're more likely to need a health care surrogate than we are a, a last will and testament. And so we we made that choice as a family that this was a critical thing for us, and we encourage other people to, to do the same. But more importantly, I think, you know, not only name somebody, make sure that person you name knows you name them. Oh, yes. <laughs> and make sure you have a discussion with that person about what your wishes are, because you're going to put that person in an awfully difficult position if they've been named to make decisions for you and they didn't realize it. And then on top of that, they don't really know what you want. But you can fix that what you want piece Mm -hmm. by executing the second part of that advanced directive, and that's the living will. So the first part is the health care power of attorney, and then the second document is the living will. 
And I like to refer to the first one as who, the who document, who's in charge if I'm not. The second is the what document. What do I want done or do I not want done for me? And I want to designate that, write that down in advance so that it's not just what someone remembers, but we've written this down. It's been notarized. I've signed it. I'm creating a legal document as a roadmap for what things I do and do not want in my care if I can't speak for myself. Yeah, and this is one of those things where I think the people listening who who maybe don't have these documents documents yet know that they need them, and it just kind of nags at you and eats at you a, a, a little bit every time. And you're thinking, you know, I, I really need to get this done. And well, I've got time; I'll do it tomorrow. Exactly, or, or it's just something uncomfortable. You just don't want to think about it. Who wants to think about what's going to happen when you pass away? So, at the expense of being overly personal, we often talk about this as a professional show, but I, I feel compelled to share a personal story and that speaks to the urgency of having these documents put together. A number of years ago, I was having a, a New Year's Day uh, dinner with my mother and my son. And in the middle of that dinner, without any warning, without any previous health care issues, my mother suffered an intracranial bleed that was massive. So in the next two hours, we went from having a celebratory family dinner to standing in the emergency department at a major medical center where a doctor and I were having to make very serious life-altering decisions regarding care. Now, thankfully, both of my parents had executed their advanced directives. They had communicated them with their families. They had kept the documents accessible. And I walked into that emergency department that day with my mother's living will and health care power of attorney. That was an incredible gift. And it was one we did not know I was going to need that day. But thankfully, they had planned in advance. And those documents were available. And we were able to act in my mother's behalf. It speaks to the urgency and the necessity of having these documents prepared, having those communications mm-hmm. to your it's point. It is an absolute gift to the people you love, and it's a gift to yourself to put somebody in charge of your care that you trust in the event that you're not able to execute your own wishes. And yeah. the, the trust is a huge one. You know, don't just name somebody that you think um, you have to name just because of their position in the family. You know, my eldest child must, or my spouse must. Sometimes some of those people that are closest to you can't look at it objectively and can't follow through on your wishes. Ask them if they're willing to do this and Mm -hmm. do they have the moxie to get it done. So again, April the 8th uh, at 11 o'clock or at noon on that Saturday, come get these documents done. Free pizza. Yeah, that's uh, it's a great opportunity for not, not just to get uh, uh, you know peace of mind, but these are some really important documents, and it, it's a great service that you guys are providing. Real quick, uh, Nicole, mm-hmm. we've got the Caregiver Summit coming up, right? Yes, yes. So we are going to be lifting the veil on those summits very, very soon. We've talked a little bit about those here on the show. Full-day conferences uh, for caregivers in our community providing respite resolution resources and just a quick little teaser on dates coming up in the website for more information uh, the first is on june 13th in raleigh at the mckinman's conference center the next is june 20th in durham at the durham convention center the next is august 22nd in chapel hill at the friday center and the last is october 3rd in Lillington at Campbell University. And registration will open for the first two conferences 
towards the end of this month. For more information, you can visit our website at caregiverssummit.org. Yeah, that's caregiverssummit.org. Two S's in there. And you can also find more information about that at WPTF.com. On the uh, Aging Matters section, you can find information there. You can also find past episodes as well. Well, very much want to thank uh, Jamie Pacheco, the Executive Director of Magnolia Glen. He was our guest this week. You can find more information about them at life at magnoliaglen.com. Dot com. Uh, we'll be back next week with another great episode of Aging Matters, the care and comfort that surrounds you. This is a service of Transitions Life Care, which was founded as Hospice of Wake County. You can find more information about them at transitionslifecare.org. Thank you so much for listening. This is News Radio 680 WPTF.